You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, Our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey everyone, welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with local writer Ariel Felton. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to finally meet you. I'd seen your name around town all the time, so very Mm -hmm. glad to have you. Um, So I will just start off reading a little bio from your website. Ariel is a writer and editor with a decade of experience in feature writing, travel writing, and copywriting. Uh, She has writing published in New York Times, Vogue, Washington Post, Bloomberg, and more. And her essay, A Letter to My Niece, which was first published in The Progressive, was listed as notable in the best American essays in 2020. Did mm-hmm. I get that right? Awesome. Okay, so I saw on your website you um, you have a BA in English from Valdosta State. So were you born in Georgia? I was. I was born in middle Georgia, a tiny town named Byron that okay. folks have usually not heard of. <laughs> uh, but then I went to VSU, yeah. Was Valdosta kind of the closest big city to you? Um, sort of, but I wouldn't even maybe call Valdosta a city. No, <laughs> like, no. it's really not that big. Um, I think for me, I wanted, you know, I'd been living in the same town for 18 years and I wanted to like explore, but I'm also kind of a scaredy cat and I didn't want to go too far. Yeah. So it was a straight shot down, um, you know, Interstate 75, just two hours. And that felt like, okay, this yeah. is independent enough. But Atlanta like, would be daunting. It would be too much. That. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm originally from Albany. So oh, okay. I'm familiar with Valdosta. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. I miss Valdosta. I miss, um, Zacadoo's, that like restaurant that was really close to the game. Well, restaurant, fast food place. Okay. It was yummy though. Your college level eating. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so you had your BA in English and then you came to Savannah to go to SCAD for MFA in writing. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And it looked like maybe you went straight from undergrad to grad school. Is that right? I did. I um, originally had this plan that I was gonna join the Peace Corps, uh, cool. but they don't let you join if you're anemic, by the way. <laughs> Anyone's ever wow. watching. They're taking care of you. Um, I guess so. Yeah. And I think um, my parents were a little, uh, they were very encouraging for me to not take a break because they were worried that I like wouldn't go back. Oh. Um, so I think between those two and then like, you know, not landing a newspaper job straight out of college like you're supposed <laughs> to, I was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll just go ahead and get my master's. So it was literally, just like a few months after I graduated, I ended up moving here. Did you, so when you were getting your undergrad in English, were you thinking you were going to go into newspaper or journalism in general? Yeah, I was, um, so I got my English degree, but the focus was journalism and I worked on the school newspaper when I was down there. I was the features editor and that was really fun. It was a way to sort of be creative, but still talk about the news, you know? Um, It wasn't like... Well, I guess I did do this for a while, but it wasn't like the, I'm going to go to the cops and ask for the police reports of like the campus because I didn't really like (laughs) writing about things like that. I enjoyed uh, people stories, you know? Um, So then I was like, kind of, I found my place in features um, and then decided, because at SCAD, I think the only option was just the broad writing. There was not like a a At that point, it was just literally called writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It Mm -hmm. must have been pretty early on, I guess, for them to started that major? I think so. I don't know the exact year, but I do remember getting here and it feeling very small. Yeah. Um, there were, I was starting at the same time as just two other students and our orientation, we like met at Sentient Bean and just sat down oh my with, God. The, with the chair and was like, hey. Your first class, the professor was like, okay, I guess we're here to writing class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very broad when I was there and it, 
I guess I sort of liked it because I would have a class in um, business and professional writing and then I would have a class in persuasive writing oh. but then I still had the room to take um, these sort of creative writing classes whether it was um, short story, fiction, memoir, whatever that was. Yeah. Um, and it turned out to be really helpful when I graduated um, because I could do a lot of little things, yes. <laughs> you know, so and I could pay these, the bills. those business practices as mm -hmm. well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it, at that time, was it sort of like, was kind of creative essay writing to self-publish, like blogs and things? Was it sort of a, a big time for that? So I think I actually remember getting there and one of the teachers being like, not everyone's going to be the next David Sedaris. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's where people's heads were at. Yeah, they were yeah. like, I'm going to write these uh, meaningful essays about moments and people in my life. Um, and that's definitely, I think, where my head was at too. Yeah. I had just come from this journalism degree. And so I wanted to just like turn that lens on like personal experiences. Um, I think as far as like the classes went, I remember having... Um, I said those business and professional writing classes, but there was also um, a magazine writing class that okay. was very helpful. Um, we had to like, <laughs> we had to come up with like a very broad umbrella idea and then be able to narrow that pitch down like 50 different publications by the end of the week. So let's say you're wow. really into um, trees. And that's like your umbrella idea. Which I like, am. How would you <laughs> how would you pitch a story about oak trees to Cosmopolitan? Okay. I'm not sure that you would, but like, you know, how would you pitch it to Savannah Morning News? Like kind of Oh, that's fascinating. Um, changing up the angle. Um, it was really, really hard at the time, but it's a really, really good skill to have. Do you remember what your topic was that you had to narrow down? Um, I think I went all the way from like Like was it trees? I was not trees, unfortunately. <laughs> I think it had something to do with like um, history and travel, um, but I also know this was like a almost like a monthly thing, so I had many. Okay, you had to do that a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Did you learn a lot about um, like say if you were going to graduate and be freelance? Did you learn about pitching to editors? Oh yeah. The, yeah, yeah. I think um, if I'm not mistaken, this was a long time ago, but I think one of our like final projects was to send out a certain number of pitches to publications. Okay. Um, I don't think that I sold anything though. <laughs> so at that time, so, it was hard. <laughs> yeah, it was very hard. I also, it's really funny. I mean, both with what you're doing with journalism, and then for mine was illustration. That like as mm -hmm. time has gone on, the industry has changed so much. Like, oh yeah. When I was graduating in the last class, we had a project where we had to. Um, create like a, a postcard that was your kind of calling card it sort of had some of your art mm -hmm. and you had to buy a mailing list of all these different magazines and you had to like mail this postcard out oh, wow. to a bunch of people to like try to pitch yourself as an illustrator mm -hmm. and at the time like that was the way that you would get oh, work wow. as a freelance illustrator yeah. and within probably six months after I graduated it was not you were not doing paper postcards anymore it would be right. like email blasts like, <laughs> that was not it was just changing anymore. so fast mm -hmm. but yeah it was literally like you'd send off from a particular company and get like a pack of mailing labels Wow. And then, like, send out postcards. Wow. It was so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even think, like, when I graduated from SCAD, I don't think my mind was thinking about freelancing. Um, I just had never, it never crossed my mind that I wouldn't have a job that I had to go to from yeah. 9 to 5 in order yeah. to pay bills. Um, so that's a weird, now that I am doing that, it's a very weird transition. Like, I never thought this I think, was possible. <laughs> I mean, not if you, I think if you didn't grow up in, like, a really 
freelancy artsy family like mm-hmm. that then it doesn't it, it just feels like too much belief it's so risky yeah. You're, yeah. unless your parents are like especially super amazing <laughs> like maybe it's not even in your realm of like that that's mm-hmm. what you're gonna do no my parents were both in the military so yeah <laughs> that was yeah. not the freelance was not a word that we talked about <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's like me where it's like you start out more serious and then as the years go on you get mm-hmm. just more and more I'm like i can free. do this yeah. fine <laughs> um so it looked like on your website and your resume that after you graduated you kind of immediately uh, you started working for SCAD it looked like yeah, yeah for yeah. two years um I started in a department called creative direction so I was doing a lot of like um you know poster headlines email blasts um for a while um, when it was hurricane season I was the one sending the messages out to students that was like hey we need to like <laughs> We need to evacuate. This is the oh plan. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. You were the emergency broadcast <laughs> yes, system. Yes, it was very stressful, by the way. Wow. <laughs> like, I mean, that's a hard job. It's cool to graduate and then get like a like a full-time, like an office job in mm-hmm. writing. Seems pretty amazing. Was yeah. that kind of rare yeah. amongst the people you graduated with? Um, I don't know if it was three think, people by then. but I think so. I think a lot of people left Savannah. I think that yeah. was, you know... I don't know if it's the same now, but definitely when I graduated, the trend was like everyone was trying to get a job at like some publishing house or magazine that was in New York yeah, or some other or big Chicago city. Or um, and I, I mean, I had also like sent out applications. I think I had interned for um, Professor Harrison Scott Key. He's not a professor anymore. He still works there, yeah. but in the uh, president's office. Um, but I interned for him as he was planning his book tour and so I had like connections at Harper Collins and so oh, I was like great. well that's where I like that's what I want to do um but then it was SCAD that like came through and I also was like kind of falling in love with Savannah like I yeah. felt like I was finally finding other writers who weren't just connected to SCAD so I was finding that like literary community yeah um and so yeah I think it all worked out yeah, and also, I mean, I think at that time, like, it was way before now where people can live anywhere and, like, just, mm-hmm. you know, work online and everything. But at that time, it's like, yeah, if you were going to be working an office job, you had to be at the city and right. be in the office. So mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing to have landed a job like that here in Savannah where, yes. you know, there's not tons of white collar. Yeah, I felt very lucky. Um, I always say that my SCAD professors really, like, uh, you know, I learned a lot while I was in school, but they also, like, gave me the push I needed once I graduated. I yeah. think that... Several of them were references for this job. Um, and then when I did start freelancing on the side, it was another professor who had written for Savannah Magazine before, Andrea Goto, who was like, hey, I know a student that just graduated that might pick up some work on the side. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like you really made Good a lot teachers. of connections. Yes, yeah, the connections matter. <laughs> <laughs> did you always feel like, like, did you always kind of sense that it was important to you in your career to, like, befriend people and really network and kind of, like, put the feelers out that you... Um, we're looking for mentoring kind of that kind of stuff I don't think so honestly I think I um I think I just got lucky there in the beginning and it wasn't until later when I started to like kind of chart back like in my career that I was like most jobs I knew someone there (laughs) before I got like the job so there is someone who um you know was kind of like talking me up yeah Um, so it's really important but I don't think I was thinking about it at the time (laughs) it's amazing how many things like you know niche jobs in the arts or writing or just like hand-holding like Mm -hmm. going from one person to the next kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of amazing (laughs) so you mentioned that um you at that point when you were graduating from SCAD you were just starting to feel really comfortable in Savannah what were your kind Mm -hmm. of first impressions of it when you first got here after Valdosta um, I think I was really, so I was 22, 
um, which is its own mindset. I think I was really excited about things like St. Patrick's Day, yeah. like drinking in the streets, and just that things were like open so late. It really felt like yes. the first quote unquote big city that I had lived in. Um, and then the longer I, I lived in Savannah, I feel like I started, um, like I have to give props to Deep Center. Um, I started volunteering for them when I think I was my last year of graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, and can, and you tell, can you tell everybody what this Deep Center do? Oh yeah. So Deep Center is a local nonprofit um, that does creative writing after school workshops for young people as well as social justice and arts change work here in Savannah. Um, and I was one of their writing fellows um, my last year of graduate school. So I would go into the middle schools and kind of co-teach these workshops about metaphor and form and all of this stuff. And I don't know, it connected me with a lot of writers and it kept yeah. me writing my own things even when I was like working to pay the bills. Oh, uh, that, yeah, um, that's really hard to do. Yes, A lot of is. people <laughs> start like working in like a meta way and mm-hmm. then just stop doing their art. Right, they're like, well, this is, and work is like tiring. Like yeah. <laughs> if you're there from eight to five, it's kind of hard to like keep that motivation up. Yeah. Um, but it was really hard to like, tell young people to write and encourage them and then go home and like be a hypocrite with myself and be like I don't need to do yeah. that like so and how old were the students you were working with um so when I started it was I was working just with middle schoolers um when I came back to work for deep um in 2019 it was high schoolers okay. so I've kind of done um uh, both ends oh, of the spectrum. I can imagine I mean, either of those age ranges they're like they're gonna kind of put you through the ringer and if you weren't oh yeah working, like they're gonna be asking you what you're doing on your own writing oh yeah so you have to have a good answer absolutely and it's just so much easier for like building that writing bond especially between a writer and an editor at the end of the semester they are trusting us with their work to like revise and get it ready for publication so I feel like if I'm able to share my work with them it kind of helps build that trust a little bit so they can see that you actually can write yeah 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 Um, and then I'm not like afraid you know to get up in front of the class and be like here's my story that yeah. I wrote I think it's encouraging too <laughs> yeah it's a muscle you gotta keep doing mm-hmm. it <laughs> where where did you live in Savannah back then were you um, kind of downtownish? Um, so no I was still in I don't think anyone was calling it the Starland District right, right. <laughs> then, the early was, days right yeah. um actually after I've been living here for about um maybe a year or so I told someone where I lived it was 39th street and they're like, oh, you live in the dirty 30s? I was like, well, I've never heard it oh. called that before. <laughs> Goodness. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, that's where I was. I never, I've never made it down properly downtown, okay. um, although it's gorgeous. It just, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> At this point, it's hard. Mm-hmm. So that would have been like 2013 to 2015 is when you were in grad school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you worked for SCAD for, it looked like four and a half years or so. And then you mm-hmm. worked at that deep center teaching. Mm-hmm. Was there, do you remember, was there any like, any kind of like noteworthy situation or is there a student that you had at deep that really made an impact on you? Mm, I think that's a really good question. Cause I'm um, sure you're teaching and you're like winging it and the kids are asking questions. I'm sure there were a lot of mm-hmm. things that maybe like stumped you that comes up in the moment. Right. I think maybe the most, um, like the thing that sticks with me the most is just how much this generation is like, um, just up on things, you know? Yeah. Um, like not to knock millennials or anything, but I feel like I had a very stereotypical high school experience where there was like the popular kids and the bullies and like the jocks. 
Um, and we, you know, people poked fun at each other. Like not everyone was like very nice. Um, but what I'm noticing with high schoolers today is that like, it's like not cool to be that way. <laughs> like it's not cool to be a bully. It's yeah. not cool to not care or like stick up for other folks. Wow. Um, and I think a lot of the like insecurities that I was dealing with in high school that I didn't quite have a name for, the internet has just handed them terminology for what it looks like when someone is being racist or sexist or homophobic and they can I think that gives them sort of like a barrier from internalizing some of that stuff I hope that it does it seems like it does yeah um so that's kind of like the biggest thing that I take away from them is like they're really smart and like brave um the young people in Savannah are yeah they're just badass sounds like and they're really just like champion championing the underdog kind of yeah, thing yeah yeah uh it's nice to see it's nice to see and there's some really great um artists and writers out there too um and they're really interested in um how to be an artist here mm. whereas I feel like my generation again was all about like you know maybe you get your degree down here but then you need to go to like a city somewhere yeah, yeah. they seem very interested in like trying to make it work in their communities which is really dope yeah I think that's interesting I think like for a bunch of different reasons that can be like the internet where you people can buy from you online and you can mm-hmm. ship it anywhere and then also yeah. just that like Savannah is so touristy now so it's you don't just have to be in a big city to have mm-hmm. lots of people coming through there's people coming through here all the time right not Different. like everyone is having these opportunities to work remotely now yeah um which is not something before covid that i even thought was like it yeah just didn't cross my so mind. new literally in the last few <laughs> yeah. years people mm-hmm. have all these opportunities <laughs> yeah cool so um d- did you when you were getting your mfa at scad was a lot of that preparing you for if you wanted to be teaching writing was it almost like was that a big chunk of um, what the mfa was I know I think it was more about like getting your name out there whether it was publishing um or submitting like personal essays through submittable to like literary magazines or becoming an editor that was like a very heavy focus when I was there at SCAD like being able to look at other people's work um and cull it to a place where it, it was ready for publication okay um so yeah I think that and then being able to do the business side so you could have like a nine to five okay. if you so like writing and editing were the big focuses but mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily training you to go out and just immediately teach writing no no i don't think so i don't remember anything at scab that felt super like this is how you would um teach this although I do remember as soon as I graduated people were like so you're gonna go get your like PhD I was like I'm actually gonna take a break school since I was like five so was that hard to figure out then how to teach creative writing to the kids um a little bit a little bit but deep has a really good you know they've been doing this since 2008 so they have a really good um like curriculum template Um, For both middle schoolers and high schoolers, we have an archive of like, you know, old student work that we pull from. We need to show examples of certain things. Um, Probably the most um, difficult thing to get used to is just, um, you know, when I started volunteering, like I hadn't been inside of a middle school since I was a middle schooler. Yeah. (laughs) Just remembering those dynamics and how they have a lot of energy. I would be scared. I'd be like, please don't bully me. (laughs) They're very talkative and they just, sometimes they just don't want to sit down (laughs) and you have to deal with that. And yeah, and now you're like competing with phones too. Mm, It's a whole mm -hmm. other aspect. (laughs) Yes, they are very distracting. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Um, Okay, well I want to switch to, so around looking at your website, you kind of, uh, you have all your like, 
your degree information and then your work information and there's mm-hmm. a whole section where you have like links to all of your creative writing which is amazing and the first one that you had a link to was 2017 I didn't know if that was your mm-hmm. first real professional freelance writing or just the first one you have on there um was it the one in the bitter southern the bitter southern yeah. yeah I think that was the first story that I came up with on my own and pitched and sold and so okay. to me that is very much like instead of just getting an assignment from like Savannah magazine this was something that I was like I want to write this and someone like agreed so it felt very much like here we go yeah I'm doing like it the start <laughs> mm-hmm. doing your pitching and everything like mm-hmm. you've been trained for <laughs> it, it actually works it's happening <laughs> so that okay that one was called troublemakers get things done and it was a profile on am I pronouncing this right Coco Pappy mm-hmm. is that her name okay mm-hmm. um so and that was let's see how how did you how did you end up pitching that how did that uh, come to you so I think um, I met Coco um, at a Planned Parenthood um, like volunteer event um, and I'm this is so long ago so I'm not gonna get her title right but she was like basically organizing volunteers for Planned Parenthood Southeast okay. um, it was at a time where um, Trump was running or he had been he was yeah no he was elected at that point yeah. so everyone was sort of worried about the state of things and um Coco was someone who at the time I saw not just worrying but actually like putting boots to the ground and trying to like do things about it yeah um so it was just a really inspiring story um and then I think for me I framed it as this sort of um, the new type of Southern woman, right? Because the bitter Southerner yeah. is all about uh, breaking those stereotypes about the South. Um, and I wanted to show that like women in the South were organizing and active and, um, you know, different than some people might yeah. expect. <laughs> and I was, yeah. So bitter Southern is like, it's like embracing the aspects of the South that we like, but not ignoring mm-hmm. the things that are really yeah. problematic. Yeah. And, yeah. And it looked like, and you know, Coco's story that she was from the South and then she was a community, she wanted to be a community organizer and she moved mm-hmm. to Brooklyn and lived in New York for years and years and then realized that like, it actually was more important for her to come back here right. and do it here as opposed yeah. to New York. Yeah. yeah. Change starts at home and like a place where you already have connections where people already know your name. Yeah. Um, where folks aren't judging you from about like where you're from. I think yeah. I remember in that article she talked about um going up north and people like thinking she was dumb because she had a sort of southern accent yeah and I know Coco Pappy yeah. is like wicked smart so yeah. <laughs> it was just like I don't know all of that was very inspiring um, uh, yeah I noted that down that she in the, your article you, you mentioned that she was on a job interview and she's talking and the person just interrupted her and is like I I can't hire you because you just sound like an idiot right and you're like but I know what I'm talking about like <laughs> yeah, how insulting it's really <laughs> I know it's pretty incredible hmm. um <laughs> Oh, so I kind of wanted to, now that I've met you, I wanted to, because mm-hmm. that accent thing really struck me. You don't really have a Southern accent at all. Is it, <laughs> I did get you told just that a lot. <laughs> not have one from childhood, or did you did I, it fall away? I think that if you heard me talk to my mom and dad, <laughs> it would, my voice would just sound a lot different. Okay. I think that it's okay. a part of, like consciously or unconsciously like having a uh a voice you know and obviously I know that we're recording so I'm probably like slow down and enunciate Enunciate. my mom put me in a lot a lot of public speaking opportunities when I was young she did Toastmasters um and she also made me do what was it called FBLA future business leaders of America and they had a bunch of public speaking like contests for young people wow so I was like kind of trained to have like a presenting voice 
Yeah. Um, but I've been like around friends and like my dad will call and I'll talk to him for five minutes and they'll look at me like, what was that? Yeah. And just slide <laughs> like, back into oh, it. Yeah. I, yeah. And I kind of, that is really interesting that you talk about your mom putting in those classes. And one of your other articles that I wanted to talk about later is um, just a, about coming to terms with how the world is going to limit you so much for mm-hmm. being, you said three aspects, being black, being a woman, being Southern. Mm-hmm. So then if your mom specifically is like, it was very important to her for you to have this very presentable kind of. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Standard speaking um, voice. My mom grew up in an even tinier town, uh, Marvel, Arkansas. And I think from a young age, education was really, really important to her. Um, she joined the military so they would pay for her college, you know, like that was the whole goal. And so I think she definitely wanted, um, you know, she was, she was the one who was checking my report cards and like wanting to see A's and stuff for my dad is like, B's are okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she was definitely like that, uh, that parent. Your mom was like, no, she's going to be judged. Yeah. (laughs) Like you have to be incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, this is, you know, we're going to, I'm going to come to a close for the first half of our show, and then we're going to have so much more about your writing to talk about in the second half. I'm super excited. So everyone, this is, I'm, this is Tamara Garvey, and I'm with writer Ariel Felton, and we'll have some station announcements, and then we will be back. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to WRUU.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. How long have you been listening to WRUU? If you're a longtime listener and haven't yet supported us with a financial gift, now is your time to give your support. We won't ask you any questions. Our forgiveness is unlimited. Whether you've been listening for a few days or a few years, please donate and thank you for your support of WRUU 
107.5 FM. Hey everyone, welcome back to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey and I'm with local writer Ariel Felton. Welcome back, Ariel. Hello, yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. <laughs> uh, so when we went into the break, we were getting into your vast, amazing, impressive freelance <laughs> essay <Thanks>. career. <laughs> I think we had talked about your first essay, which was Bitter Southerner. And, um, and then it looked like the next one that you did was a profile on Trelawney Michelle Duncan. Did I pronounce that right? Mm-hmm. A local author. Can you um, kind of describe a little bit what that episode Yeah, about? absolutely. Um, so I knew her from SCAD. I think she actually graduated like a year ahead of me. Um, and we became friends, and I knew that she'd been working on a book that was sort of like, um, what's the word I want to use, like archival histories, sort of like these oral histories where she was interviewing elders in Savannah and getting to know their stories from um, the early like 1900s in Savannah, um, which I think is very, very interesting. Um, And I think, I want to say that was about the time that like the first iteration came out and she has since written more about the histories of Savannah. Uh, but it was just really cool to get to talk to someone who had so much knowledge of what Savannah used to be. Yeah. And I honestly think reading her book and talking to her probably started my like intense fascination with history in general and the way things change and like how we present oh. history now. Yeah. Um, I was actually, I was trying to find a story idea just the other day and I went back and I picked up her book, Crack Teak, because I was trying to find if any of them had mentioned a Lincoln Park, which used to be somewhere around here, <laughs> I'm unclear, but it was like a uh, a blacks only park um, for like recreation, you know, wow. accounts, like that sort of thing. And um, so I was trying to like remember if any of them had mentioned that. And I think, um, you know, it's gone now after segregation, I think, I wish I could remember exactly where it was so I could picture like what it is now, you know? Yeah, it's so interesting. But I, I don't that. I don't know. Um, well, I if you find it later, yeah. put that in the liner notes of the show. <laughs> I will. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, was, so that must have been so interesting for you to be interviewing someone that you said she graduated a year ahead of you at SCAD. Mm-hmm. You wanted to interview her and then you pitched that magazine? Yes, I think what happened was I had been writing um, a lot of assignments for Savannah Magazine that were about weddings, like recaps basically. Okay. Um, And so this is probably the first uh, piece that I pitched to them. Um, That was my own idea. That's quite a departure. Yes, yes. And I was, you know, it was one of those things where, like, I was happy to have the work. I was happy to be, like, stacking my bylines. If you'd have looked at my website back then, it would have been just, like, wedding (laughs) things. Um, And I was happy to be getting the experience, but I was like, all right, I want to do something that, like, I'm really passionate about. Um, And so from knowing her and knowing her work, I was just like, this is, like, super interesting. And it's framed around Savannah. Um, So I think... I may have pitched it somewhere bigger first and gotten turned down. Um, I can't recall. Interesting. But I was happy that Savannah Magazine. They really went for it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's really cool. You were able to uplift another local black female writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, I was struck by it both in that article and then the one before it on Coco Pappy that both of them are just like so articulate, so intelligent. So all the pull quotes you have from them Mm -hmm. are incredible. It must be like... (laughs) nice as a writer where the person you're interviewing is so easy to write about. Oh my gosh. Like all the things that, all the quotes you had from them were also amazingly written. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, like interviewing people who are used to speaking, interviewing other writers makes it really easy. I've had some not uh, easy interviews before where people are like, 
And you know, I know not to ask a yes or no question, but still sometimes people can give you really short, like, and you're like, oh, it's like pulling teeth (laughs) to get stuff out of people. Uh, But no, I remember they're both, uh, they're both great. And a good uh, interview subject is like a godsend. And their their quotes were beautiful. I was like, (laughs) their quotes were a work of art as well. Um, and then next it looked like you was your award-winning essay that um, was published in the Progressive and then it won it was listed as notable in the best American essays of 2020 um, and this is an article about your niece and mm-hmm. your kind of coming of age um, what was that one that was a letter to my niece mm-hmm. yeah that was um, the first like really personal thing that I had ever published and I've got to say that essay went through like a thousand (laughs) revisions before it found like even its letter format. Um, I wrote it after reading um, James Baldwin's letter to my nephew Um, and it's you know it's James Baldwin it's a beautiful piece about like being uh, a black man in America during that time and like he's giving advice to his nephew and so I think I did it at, at first it's just as like an exercise you oh. know it's like a writing exercise like well would this be anything if I were to write to my niece um about being a black woman in America today and um yeah I think I I finished it before even thinking about pitching it anywhere and then I think I was doing research on his essay and realized that before it was in a book, um, it had been published in the Progressive. Okay. And so it was really like the universe just kind of aligning and me being like, I wonder if they would like, they're still around. Yeah. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if they would publish my <laughs> like redone thing. Um, and not only did they publish it, but it ended up being the cover, which was just, you know, at that point in my career, I'd never had anything like that. Yeah. So I was really excited at the same time really nervous because I was being very vulnerable yeah, <laughs> in this yeah. letter. And a lot of people were going to see it. Yes. And, you know, my family is in it. And so that was also like yes. a whole nother yes. like hurdle where I had to send it to them and have them read it and be like, hey, here's the thing. Is this okay? Um, but yeah, it's still probably one of, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's one of my favorite yeah. things I've written. When you said that it went through a lot of iterations, do you mean when you personally wrote it before you pitched it to them, or did the progressive have a lot of things they needed, they wanted you to um, look at? Both sides, actually. I think it probably changed more before I was ready to show it to anybody. Um, but then when I pitched it to the progressive, it didn't have any of the timeliness news aspects that are in it now. It didn't okay. mention anything about recent. Uh, police brutality it was literally just me talking to my niece in a very like personal type of way and because they're a magazine that's all about like you know progressive politics and um and that sort of thing in order to make it a cover I think they needed just a little bit oh, yeah. of a of a news peg like a hook mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah um thankfully it wasn't too hard I don't think to sort of like put that in there but um yeah that was the main change that they wanted that and making sure I had permission from my family. <laughs> yeah, so that's very interesting. And you referenced David Sedaris earlier. And mm-hmm. I mean, this has, this feels very much like him. Oh, where he's, <laughs> to, you know, he's writing, his family is in it. And mm-hmm. it's, people aren't always like, you're kind of coming to terms with your childhood and every child that grows up in a family has a different, everybody yes. has a different childhood and everybody mm-hmm. experiences their parents differently. Mm-hmm. And so how, how did that go? Are you showing the story to them? So because my family's awesome, I think um, when I first showed it to them and told them that I had this opportunity, they were really just like excited for me. 
Um, and so they gave me their blessing very quickly. Yeah. Um, I sent it to my mom, my dad, my sister, and my niece. Um, and I think, you know, it was like the next day when they were all like, you know, we love it. That's so great. Wow. I think afterwards, now that it's been out for a while, um, my sister and my mom specifically have said things like, is that really how that happened? Or um, things about worrying about having our family business out yeah. there. Um, it was after the fact, so that <laughs> that kind of sucks, you know, it was already out there. But I think I'm also just learning a lot about when you write memoir, um, like you said, everyone sort of has a different lens on the same memories. Yeah. They feel different as a little sister than they do as a big sister or as the mom in the situation. Um, and I really hope that when they read it, they understand that the point is not to like put our family errors or mistakes out in the streets. It's like, this is not an error, you know, it's, it's like things yeah, yeah. happen and we made the choices that we made and now I have a beautiful niece and now I have a beautiful, um, great nephew. Like, and it's, um, it's not, these events don't define us basically is the truth that I was trying to yeah. get at, um, in the essay. And so I hope that with some time that is where they arrive as well. So how old was your niece when you wrote it? Oh gosh, that was like 2019. Yeah. So she would have been like 19. Yeah, okay. 19 or 20. So it's, yeah, so you're writing to your niece and you're like remembering her as a baby and all of the hopes that you had for her at that time and mm -hmm. thinking about her childhood growing up and what she'd gone through. And then you use it as like a way to then look back into your own childhood mm -hmm. and you comparing you and your sister and just as you progress through childhood, what you, you know the racism and the sexism that you experienced growing up and the othering and just you looking at like how the world is going to put you in a certain box and the way that yeah. I guess black families have to raise their kids talking to them about things mm -hmm. and like that you're the families are doing the best they can and the right. system is really messed up and so everybody has a different way of like assuring their children through childhood to yeah. learn about that yeah exactly yeah. exactly and I think when I was writing it I was really coming to terms with the ways I had like internalized certain like narratives um, and like learning how much that is a cycle and like can be an unconscious one, right? Like you feel as if I, you know, you're just doing the right things. You're just like reaching for good grades or um, behaving in a certain way or stacking up these accomplishments because you want to be like really successful. But then you have to look back and think, is, is are these goals mine are these standards mine or are these given to me by a world who said I couldn't do yeah, things yeah you know um so it was really like emotional to write um but still is like something that I'm proud of it was know? very fat I mean it's fascinating just in the way that like I guess senior sister growing up had been so opposite and so the way that you use this as this literary reference of it was just like really amazing storytelling thank of, you it's like the two of you looking at how racist and sexist the country is and how you were going to be treated and just using that and like becoming very different like reacting mm -hmm. very differently fascinating so, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it's got I like the ending I'm, I'm trying to remember it was like you kind of come to terms with the way that your, your family had done their best mm -hmm. and they you know were just try, like I said just trying to usher you through this really unfair situation yeah. yeah yeah and it's all like still like a learning curve right I don't think you ever um well I don't know I'm only 33 who knows maybe, maybe there'll be some <laughs> point where I'm like I have 
regurgitated all of the things that like society put inside me but it's still I think it's a process you know well like you said like the new generation is they seem like they are pretty yeah woke mm-hmm. and like really championing mm-hmm. people and not being bullying so yeah. maybe maybe things will start changing in quicker chunks yeah maybe it's happening right now it? Yeah. <laughs> I hope so I really hope yeah. so well it, really, it was a really fascinating essay I think that's awesome that you got so much accolades for it thank you thanks so you do you have a twitter account is that like for writers, is that the social media of choice? Is that the most useful one, you think? I really, really love Twitter. Um, I follow publications that I, you know, think about pitching to. I follow their editors, and mm-hmm. I just, it's like a news feed of pitch calls all the time. Okay. Um, and their emails are right there. Like, I've, I remember this sort of, like, assumption that it would be really hard to reach editors. And I guess sometimes it was. Um, but if you get on Twitter, like people are just asking like, Hey, I need to publish, you know, three things under this umbrella. Um, yeah. here's my email address. Um, and it makes it a lot easier. Interesting. <laughs> you know? I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it looked like you really are kind of cultivating your, like, not your brand, but your, you as a person and the things that you care about mm-hmm. and your, with your retweets and everything where it gives a really yeah. complete view of yeah. who you are and what you might want to write about. Exactly. Exactly. I, um, I feel like in the beginning of my career, I could get a lot of assignments that, like, I wouldn't necessarily, like, pitch myself, you know? It's not something Mm -hmm. I was interested in, but the more I am writing things that I'm interested in, the more the work that comes to me also, like, kind of falls in that line. That's very cool, where they know you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're like, oh, you wrote something about the environment in the South here. What about something similar? Um, So that's really cool. Did that, so did that progressive article and then being, getting that notation that award did that like have a real bump in for you work-wise um I think honestly that was what 2019 yeah like so you won the award in 2020 was when it was listed and I think that what was really getting me more work at the time was starting um to do more travel writing Mm. um so, so one thing that's not on my website was um, also happening around this time, I wrote some little travel blurbs for Atlas Obscura. Oh, I've seen that. Um, yeah. And can I you, think... Can you describe that? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Atlas Obscura is like a travel website, but instead of like the things you're going to find in the like travel brochure when you get to Savannah or wherever you're going, it's like these off the beaten path sort of quirky yeah. things about the city. Um, so like I wrote a whole entry on like the stone stairs of death and like what that was about. Yes. Um, about the hidden like architecture around downtown, like the drain pipes that like end is like fish oh, yeah. mouths, like fish, little things yeah. like that. I've looked at the listings for that in Savannah. There's another one in, in Bonaventure Cemetery. There's like mm-hmm. a really ghoulish looking figure that's like a woman jogging mm, this one her face. I don't know if I know that one. Her face is very creepy. You gotta check it out. <laughs> so that was something that I wrote that I honestly like that that job came to me. It was not something that I like pitched. Oh cool. And I I did it because at the time, it was, like, the most money I had ever <laughs> been paid to I would not something. have known that that website um, had tons of money. That's and I think it was because it was so many locations, oh. right? Like, I was do I did, like, 20-something entries, um, and I was, like, updating old ones as well as adding new ones. Um, and so I think that was where I learned that editors really, like, talk to one another. Because mm-hmm. even though that was not something that I 
pitched or um, like an idea that came from me, it got me connections to places that I maybe had been pitching, uh, but I had been ignored. Interesting. <laughs> there. So like the editor at Atlas Obscura would say, um, you know, she was easy to work with. She turned her stuff in in time. The writing was good, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then very shortly after that, I got my first Washington Post um, travel job. And so... That was sort of, like I said, the first time I learned that, like, oh, editors are, like, kind of talking yeah. to each other. Like, you were, like, because it was all travel was in the same vein, so mm-hmm. that's why. Mm-hmm. So, for the Alice Obscura ones, did you have to go to different cities and find weird places to write about? Um, no, it was all about Savannah. So, okay. because I was here, it was really, really easy. And then the Washington Post piece that came after it was also about Savannah. Okay. Uh, but in a different, you know, they didn't want the, like, very quirky places. They wanted the, like, locals view of, like... If your friends came for the weekend, where oh. where would you take them? Okay. You know? Um, and so doing those like back to back, I think, you know, when your name is in the Washington Post, people would like start to see it. And yeah. um it made pitching a lot easier <laughs> going forward. Cool. Yeah. What do you do? So when you're pitching, just like as a note for future writers of America, like, mm-hmm. when you pitch, so is this then like, like in your intro email to an editor? Would you maybe like reference and my recent article in the Washington Post? Like, do you just put it front and center and say that? Yeah, yeah. So I my like formula is to always like start with the story, but always in my email there will be a blurb that's like this is who I am. Mm. Um, here are other links that I are to work that I've written um, that are similar to this. Um, I think after I've done that sort of Washington Post travel guide story. I pitched a story that was also travel, but it was about, it was less iterative instead of being like, go eat here and go drink here. It was about a travel trend. I remember I linked in the very first sentence, I linked that the Washington Post had written about it before, but had not gone like as deep as I was going to go. And I think things like that are really helpful when oh, I pitch as well. If I can say, you sort of covered this, but my angle's a little different. Yeah. Um, the more I can do the editor's job for them, the better. You know, if I say, here's my story idea, and this will work really well in your travel section, yeah, yeah. or really well on this page of your publication, um, I feel like it's, you know, more likely that it'll get accepted. Yeah, and it proves that you're really paying attention to their publication mm-hmm. and you really care about it and read it yourself. Yeah. yeah. The one that I pitched where I was able to link another Washington Post story in it was about um, black tour guides specifically. Oh, okay. And if they had gotten any sort of um, pushback when they're telling, you know, certain histories. Yeah. Um, because, like, it had been a viral moment on Twitter that some plantation museum had, like, um, someone had said, I don't want to come here and learn about, like, slavery. And it's yeah. like, it's a plantation. It's a drag, right? Like, learning about that. Mean? Yeah. Um, and I was like, <laughs> the Washington Post had written about it, but really they just called a bunch of bad reviews and been like, this is the thing that happened uh, at this place. And like, maybe like, they didn't speak to the actual tour guide? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, I live in Savannah. I could name five black tour guides right now, and their voice doesn't seem to be in this piece. So that was kind of how I pitched that angle. But it sounds like that was an interesting era. Like a lot was happening. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm always happy to move away from guides of like eat here, go here, and more. The more I can cover like a trend in the travel industry, uh, yeah. I'm probably more interested in that. Yeah, it's very sociological. It's like a real snapshot in time. Mm-hmm. Um, another article I kind of wanted to ask you about. It looks like you've done some writing for McSweeney's, which I love. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if people familiar with it but it's just got a particular tone that's just very very satirical and mm-hmm. hilarious and they're always just like 
the ending line of every essay just seems it's like a real punch. It like just really <laughs> kicks you. And I loved your the title of one of your McSweeney's essays was Ways to Secretly Pass Another Woman a Tampon Without <laughs> Alarming Nearby Menfolk, which is amazing. <laughs> um, that was really fun to write. It was my, that was the first McSweeney's piece, I believe. Um, and I had been like trying out this humor writing. I'd written for Reductress. before um which is like a satirical like women's magazine yeah um and so it was like in that listicle format where it's really just like one-liners you know like just back-to-back jokes um yes like being a comedy writer honestly yeah I took a humor writing class at SCAD that I believe was just like an elective it filled an elective slot um and so I've always been really interested in that like voice and how to use it to get my point across yeah I think I came to SCAD really like I'm gonna write these poetic deeply felt like memoirs which is a lane and is very important but I think that humor writing class and some of the work I've done for Reductress and McSweeney's has been inspiring me to see if I can merge those two voices a little bit like there's nothing to say that an essay can't be both funny and deep yes I mean it really gets your point across in a really biting way Mm -hmm. and I guess it's probably mostly women who read Reductress but McSweeney's is kind of everybody so it's yeah getting your point across to the people maybe you want to read it Mm -hmm. yeah because that was kind of cool this satire and you kind of touch on like all these stereotypes about you know men and women you talk about sports and Mm -hmm. sad salads and (laughs) consoling a crying woman and then the last line which I always think is it's always like such a shock is something like men folk can't stand any mention of women's reproductive rights (laughs) and it really just like ends in this big pow Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think like I love a listicle I love um humor writing but I feel like my favorite um humor has like a point behind it so like like you said making fun of the ways in which women have been taught to like hide completely natural things about ourselves Uh, and I've I've been that woman too you know trying to pass them on a tampon and not sure how they feel about it so I'm like should I be secretive about it and now I'm just like just put it in my hand it's it's fine (laughs) I know this whole aspect of like having to treat men like they're like frightened baby deer or something right it's not a used one that we're passing out in the office it's like calm down (laughs) I once had a moment I was living in New York for a long time and I had a moment where I was sitting on the subway and it was like this almost empty train and I was just facing another girl on the like bench opposite me and there was just like a wrapped like brand new tampon that was just rolling around on the ground of the subway train and like the train was moving and the tampon was just like rolling back and forth and we both were just watching it and we just were like laughing and we were looking at each other we were laughing and we we're just like look at this crazy tampon rolling around if a man had been on the train he would I know, have been having a heart attack been like... having, but yeah it was just really funny I'll never forget it <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know anything about that I've yeah. never been to New York still uh, I want to go. I want to yeah. see it. Sounds dope. <laughs> One day. <laughs> It'd be funny. I know that like New York and DC are always just like writing, you know, articles about like, it's like mm-hmm. every article is the same. It's just like, oh my God, Savannah doesn't suck. Look at these things <laughs> to do in Savannah. But it'd be maybe funny if like Savannah sent you to New York to oh, write. Oh, that would be funny. And you come back here and you write an essay being like, hey guys, look at all this fun stuff <laughs> to do in like, New York. It's so cool here. Have you yeah. heard about this little neighborhood? It's called Brooklyn. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it, but (laughs) maybe it could be that could be like a satirical writing. Oh, maybe I should. I can go up there and like (laughs) taste the grits or the biscuits and be like, well, there's nothing good to eat here. (laughs) (laughs) Although I feel like New Yorkers would riot. Yeah, they would. They would not get the. Or if you went there and you ate pizza and you were like, it's not very good. I prefer. (laughs) I like Vinny's. Yeah, I really like Vinny Van Gogh's. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Um. Let's see. 
You have, um, you had an, an essay in the New Yorker. It looks like your first essay in the New Yorker was 2020. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. How did that come about? Yeah. That Everyone was is like a stepping stone. It's getting bigger. Extremely exciting. Um, so I like to tell this story by saying that I was pitching to this editor for a year. Wow. <laughs> before she accepted anything. Would she reply um, to your emails or were you just sending them into a blog? Um, no, she would reply. So she actually, I think there was another McSweeney's piece about something uh, maybe it was the tampon piece or maybe it was something afterwards I don't remember but she reached out and she was like I remember her email said hey have you ever thought about writing for the New Yorker and I was like yeah <laughs> of course of course I have <laughs> uh, she's like I'd be willing to read your stuff and I pitched her you know terrible things I'm glad she didn't accept because yeah. now I'm like they they weren't any good <laughs> um but this moment um was really it's it sounds like trite to say this, but it was really something I wrote in like 15 minutes. Um, it's a true story <laughs> about um, someone posting a lot of pictures of black and white babies holding hands on my Facebook wall yeah. in response to like me trying to have a conversation about black people taking care of themselves in this summer of like racial upheaval. Um, I think the post yeah. said something like, um, ask yourself if the white friends in your circle are part of the problem or part of the solution. And this person that I um, know that I never quite liked, but I'd never had, you know, uh, the guts to just like say this <laughs> to her, um, sort of entered into this conversation and said just a bunch of wacky stuff. Um, and so I wrote a quick, like, oh my gosh, like, thank you so much. You've totally explained racism. It was very, like, um, sarcastic. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the tone is really good. And I wrote it really quickly, and I think I sent it without even, like, giving it another, like, thought. Yeah. Um. You're just like, it's perfect. Um, not even that. (laughs) I would not say that I thought that. I think I thought, like, this just feels really true. Like, this is exactly, like, and it felt... I was. I think what concerned me the most after I knew it was going to be published is that people would read it and they'd be like, oh my God, this girl's so mean. Like, why would you talk about someone in this, like, really sarcastic tone? But when I wrote it, I was really, like, honestly making fun of myself in some ways because I am so, like, non-confrontational that, like, even if someone, like, deserves, <laughs> you know, to yeah. be cussed out or to be told about themselves or whatever like I'm just not gonna do it and so to me the piece was about Ariel how did you get so far in this relationship with this person that they don't know that they can't talk to you right like you're being very self-deprecating and it's like you have zero boundaries at all right right and it's so the piece is written in this tone where it's like oh thank you because if this had happened in person somehow I think that would have been my face. I would have been like, wow, great. I'm going to, you know, step back and like, you know, Homer Simpson into the bush meme. And then you go home and you're like, I'm in agony. Right. And you're like, you know, I'm talking to my cats about what I should have said. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. So that's kind of how the the piece came around. And I do remember getting some responses to that that were like, why don't you just have an honest conversation with her? It's like, well, I mean, the people okay. who didn't get that one and the tone of it are just, they weren't going to get anything. Cause like yeah. it was written in the summer of 2020, which was one. So there were all this 
it was like the peak just all these black people being shot by the police and there's mm-hmm. a lot of black people and like obviously there was a lot being written about all of that and yours yeah. is like it just if people didn't get it then they were really not paying attention <laughs> yeah you know? and I think that was a summer where like probably a lot of awkward conversations like that were happening everywhere yeah. you know people wanted to talk about it but weren't sure the right way to approach it and like you know, it could have been well-intentioned, but it still lands in this, like, awkward type of way. Well, some people you know? have no sense of irony or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, I, when I was just now, like, you know, looking back over your work to prepare for this interview, and I clicked on that, and I read it, and I was like, oh, I've, I've read this, and I hadn't read it from, mm-hmm. like, knowing you locally, and I had just read it because it's just so huge, and it's been mm-hmm. floating around, and it come across my timeline, and I remember being, like, rereading and being like oh my god I remember this this is brilliant yeah. <laughs> thank you so, very exciting to meet you yeah well <laughs> thanks really so cool much say, so. just know that I was very uh I was like having a panic attack when it was published yeah. I was like excited but also scared <laughs> yeah I mean the number of people who are going to read it through their social media and I'm mm-hmm. sure I mean yeah you have no control over it the comments go crazy yeah. and I'm sure when you're writing about racial and gender issues then it just you're gonna get a lot of hate yeah you know, and it you know it's weird because it happens like I said earlier it didn't really happen on that super personal piece but it does happen on a lot of like journalism um the piece I mentioned earlier about where I interviewed black tour guides um I think the headline for that piece ended up being for black tour guides history is personal yeah and I can't tell you how many comments I got from real people or bots I don't know that was like why was it because they were slaves and it's like what that's it's so intelligent. I'm so glad you added to the conversation yeah. in that way. It's like, absurd. Yeah. yeah. So it happens. I think I'm better at like um, just publishing something and then like just leaving it and yeah. not going back not to reading. see what Twitter had to say That's about it. Wise. That seems like self-care. Yeah, it yeah. is. It really is. <laughs> okay. Well, I have so many other things I would have loved to talk to you about. So I'll have to interview you again in the future. I but love it. Let's do it. I will just end by asking if there's anything you want to leave us with, like directions you're going in for the future. or um, I would say, so I'm in a really exciting time in my life where I am just writing for the first time ever. Um, I, we talked earlier about me working at Deep Center. Um, I left that job to focus solely on writing. Um, so I have a little uh, branded content, which for any writers out there, branded content is like the cheat code. Um, it is, the secret is that it's very easy, but that it pays to pay the bills, you okay. know? Um, so I'm doing that for like 20 hours a week while also just um, working on my own manuscripts. I really, oh, really love to write a book. I feel like I've been talking about writing a book since I was like, you know, since I got to SCAD yeah. <laughs> probably. And I just haven't had the space and time to like really focus on it so that's sort of what I'm doing right now a lot of writing and a lot of like building up my um writing habits yeah um your daily I'm, practice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I write a lot in the mornings um and because this job is only 20 hours a week I can now return to it in the afternoons which is really nice okay um so I don't know exactly what the book is yet but I, I feel more focused on it so that feels exciting I'm so excited about this <laughs> thank you thank you wish me luck wish me all the great all words the luck, yeah. and all of the things is it- well Ariel thank you so much it's been really a pleasure and I'm so excited for all the success you've had and that you've had the opportunity to write about both frothy things and also very important timely issues I think Mm -hmm. it's great I'm really glad you've had these huge platforms well thanks for having me like I said I love talking about writing um I could talk about it for another hour and a half if you had the time (laughs) um so thanks I'm honored to be on the air 
You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Next up on WRUU, that old Savannah magic from 4 to 6 p.m. It's a variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews, and music. 